0: Talks like an animal Must be an animal Come here the animal, Talking animals Talking animals Walks like an animal
1: Talks
0: like an animal Must be an animal Good morning, this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and my guest today is science journalist Ed Young, a staff writer at The Atlantic, winner of the Pulitzer Prize for Explanatory Reporting for his coverage of the COVID-19 pandemic. Young also writes books, most recently, An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. The book unspools into a remarkable travelogue through the animal kingdom with this extensive tour focusing, as the subtitle suggests, on the senses of a sweeping array of critters with a bonanza of revelatory explorations along the way. Befitting a reporter who has been awarded a Pulitzer for explanatory reporting, Young articulates even the most complex sensory mechanism with supreme eloquence as well as generous dollops of humor. And in Fashioning an Immense World, he goes deep and wide. The book is sprawling and detailed, while also managing to be nimble and deft, often reflecting a joyful sense of discovery his reporting has provoked. We'll discuss this fascinating book with its author, Ed Young, in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. A quick program, you know, tomorrow, August 25th, I'll be filling in for Nancy C., 3 to 6 p.m. I do a music show once, uh, maybe, or twice a year. So if you tune you'll probably understand why the, why the, there's the actual reason for that. So that's tomorrow, 3 to 6, filling in for Nancy, doing a music show. Later in today's program, I'll talk with Christina Holtz, the owner of Bay Paws Bet Pet Resort. The Ybor City location will host a Clear the Shelter's adoption event this Saturday, August 27th. One of many such Clear the Events shelters uh, Shelter events taking place not just locally, but across the country. The one happening at Bay Paws will bring together a handful of local rescues and vendors. More on this a bit later in today's show. Right now, though, let's talk with Ed Young about his latest book, an immense world how animal senses reveal the hidden realms around us with a reminder that i invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663 emailing dj at wmnf.org or texting 813-433-0885 this is ed young on talking animals on wmnf good morning ed hi good morning thanks for joining us on talking animals
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: So congratulations on the book, which is, I think, my introduction probably made clear I found truly innovative and and, uh, a thrilling read. Um, So I look forward to discussing the book in a moment. But I'd like to first discuss the genesis of an immense world for a moment. So in the acknowledgments, you recall that while sitting in a London cafe uh, four years ago with your wife, Liz Neely, you told her you wanted to write another book, but you're, quote, well of ideas had run dry, end quote and I thought that was really uh, surprising and I think others familiar with your work would maybe have a similar reaction at that point you would written one book and your stuff in the Atlantic is teeming with ideas so I guess I'm curious to know are the day-to-day demands of that journalism and especially maybe covering COVID-19 such that you just felt tapped out or thought you were tapped out when it came to writing book number two?
2: Oh, so uh, the, that moment in the cafe, my little moment of uh, self-deprecation, occurred well before the pandemic started. Um, but I think, you know, it reflects the, the fact that a book is a meaty thing. You know, you, you, I've got loads of great ideas, but which of those ideas are substantial and profound enough to warrant someone's attention for 300-plus pages? I, I don't take that question lightly. And I think Liz's suggestion of writing about the senses of other animals became an obvious answer to that problem because here is a topic that is so vast and so philosophically and scientifically rich that, of course, it it, it could fill up the pages of an entire book. In fact, it's a topic that I think demands a book-length project to really get at it, um, to really explore it in the depth required um, and to create that sort of profound sense of joy and wonder that I hope readers of the finished product will get.
0: Oh, for sure, and and I think that's the case. I just I just found it curious, at least at that moment, that that you felt like, geez, I don't know if I've got another book in me right now, and uh, and then it seems like what, what I'm holding in my hand suggests, uh, boy, do you, and then some. <laughs> uh, just because, again, the book, like you say, is a substantial tome. But one of the things too that's that's just so great, kind of like a, I guess, an added bonus, for lack of a better phrase, is that the footnotes. Uh, are extensive, and really, if you somehow cobble those together, those might make a, a, a decent-sized book themselves. So, just there's there's just so much reporting and, and stuff that obviously you found fascinating that you that you do as sides or additional comments to the reader, which are just an extra treat, I think.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wanted the the footnotes to be um, to do a couple of things. Uh, you know, they're, they're a place for like. Some jokes and some funny aside. Uh, there are places for stuff that just didn't fit with the main flow of the book, but were, were really, really fascinating. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there were bits of, there were places for clarification. Um, you know, there are always exceptions to every rule when you write about nature, and I wanted to make those clear. But I think, you know, they, they, it, it's part of what I hope is the playful spirit of the book. Um, you know, I don't think people would normally look to the footnotes as a place for, uh, you know, amusement or joy. But I hope that they fulfill that function here. And I think they reflect the fact that there is so much about the senses of animals that, that is, is incredible. Um, and that, you know, even with a 360-page book, um, barely fits within that space.
0: Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I think uh, I was going to talk with you about this later, but this is as good a time as any. There's like a real joy and like an ongoing sense of discovery that, that just radiates from the book. Because obviously as you've done you know, this bit of reporting or went to visit this researcher, you uh, obviously were super excited by, by what you found or what you learned or what they told you and that, that's that's captured on the page, but sometimes it's like, well, there's more if you look down at the bottom of the page in a slightly smaller uh, type uh, that I have to say about that, that kind of exciting and stimulating experience.
2: Yeah, um, I think uh, visiting scientists who study the senses of other, other animals was a critical part of the book. I think partly because their enthusiasm, um, their, their infectious joy at their work and the creatures they study, um, I think bleeds across to the page and, and hopefully to a reader. You know, I think that's especially important for creatures that a lot of people might find disgusting or off-putting. You know, I had a, there's a bit in the book where I talk about standing in this room full of giant spiders with a woman who studies spiders. And you know, she also studies things like elephants, which I think people would find more charismatic. But spiders are her true love. And she explains, like, the the incredible ways in which they perceive the vibrations coursing through their webs and how um, you know we could be standing in the same space as them and have this radically different experience of that same reality, and and I think that um, that curiosity um, that some that a person could manifest for a creature like a spider is is crucial to the book. You know, it's it's really about trying to empathise with the experiences of creatures that are very different to us, even when they are animals that I think most people might not uh, you know. Uh, reflectively adore.
0: Yeah, and I found that as as, as someone who is particularly has trouble with mosquitoes, and you're reporting on the mosquitoes and sort of what what does draw them to people, and and then what what of course prompts them then to to bite in. That well, I don't know if that's going to help me in the next time I'm out and about, but I mean at least I'll know why they're biting me.
2: Oh, right. Certainly I'm not a fan of mosquitoes, but at least I have a lot more respect for them. You know, I think that the, 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 mos- um, the, the mosquito is a good example of the central concept of, of this book, which is the, the concept of the umwelt, the sensory bubble in which all animals live in. Um, so each creature has its own set of sights and smells and sounds that it can perceive, but that other animals might not be able to perceive. And for example, a mosquito's umwelt is really fi- those, especially for the species that, that bite humans, are very, very finely tuned to the cues that we give off. Um, so the, the mosquito that spreads things like dengue and Zika is attuned to the heat of a human body, to the smell of human skin, to the carbon dioxide released in our breath. Those are all part of its umbels. Um, You know, our umbelt include all the colors that we can see, all the fine textures that we can feel with a very sensitive fingertip. But it doesn't include, for example, um, the magnetic or electric fields that other animals can sense or all the smells that my dog can pick up. Um, Each creature, whether it's a mosquito or a human, is is limited in its own way. And so an immense world is an exploration of all those worlds. You know, in your intro, you called it a travelogue. And I I think of it as exactly that, a, a journey through all these different sensory landscapes.
0: Yeah and it's so extensive and uh and again the, as you've noted with the with the with the umwelt uh element which i guess is is sort of like i guess maybe a, like a sort of a framing device right in terms of presenting all this and and how you know how i feel about a mosquito might be different obviously than what the mosquito is experiencing when when you know there's carbon dioxide that i'm Putting out there, and so the, the mosquitoes drawn to me, or any number of other things that are happening, including the spiders and their vibrations, as you noted in their webs. I mean, it seems like that that the concept of lumval really helps you to understand um, that in a lot of cases, there's a, a, obviously a, a number of animals and creatures and critters discussed here, but. Often the twain doesn't meet. Like the, what what one experiences or how they experience uh, color, let's say, or or sound, uh, doesn't necessarily meet up with how I do or how the next animal does. But they're really important and interesting to to understand how that particular animal does, and it's 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 something to take with you into a, hopefully a broader understanding of just uh, critters at large.
2: Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, you know, I think that the concept is one of the most, the, the Umvelt concept is one of the most profound and important in in all of biology. It, it tells us that um, our experience of the world, even though it seems complete, is actually just very partial. You know, we're only perceiving a small sliver of reality and other creatures have their own little slivers. Their Their experience of the world is also partial too. That I think is a is a very leveling idea. It puts humans on this sort of uh, same playing field as as a lot of other creatures. It's very humbling. It shows that there's a lot we're missing, even in a, in environments that um, that are familiar to us. You know, when I walk in my neighbourhoods with my dog, um, I am not smelling most of the things that he's smelling. I, I'm missing a lot, and I, and I can understand what I'm missing by thinking about. Um, his nose and his sense of smell, uh, it changes my experience of my own reality um, in a way that I think exposes flickers of magic in things that would otherwise be mundane. And then yes, I think absolutely it it expands our understanding of what other creatures are experiencing, you know what a bee um, sees of a flower, what a songbird might hear in its own song all of these things are different to what we see and hear of these things. Um, and, you know, I, I think by thinking about these sensory bubbles, we really start to appreciate animals in, in, in their own right and in new and important ways.
0: And one of the things that, that uh, in addition to that, that, I mean, there were just so many things I loved about this book, uh, including, you know, what might be called peripheral virtues, because in addition to what you just described, Uh, to me, in a period marked by so many uh, polarizing figures and issues politically and culturally and so on, where people seem particularly uh, disinclined to understand a different point of view or or just even put themselves in the position of, of understanding, even if they're not going to agree, what that person's point of view or how they arrived at it. This book repeatedly invites the reader to learn about ways that, that, that that animals do perceive a sound, a taste, a color. In other words, the, to put themselves in other shoes, or hooves, or paws, or claws, which I think is just a great thing to cultivate. Like I say, these days, just ho- however it's spurred.
2: I I agree. I completely agree. You know, I think that it it it's important for us to understand that even with these. Um, this basic aspect of our mental lives but like the the information that we can perceive in the world around us we differ you know we, we vary um, we are different from other animals we are different as individuals within a single species and it, i think it shows just how different we are um i, I think then that the act of stepping into the sensory world into the umvelves of other animals um, is a, a profound act of empathy. Um, yeah. a, as you say, I think that we are a, a bit uh, lacking in that right now. You've know, you, you mentioned my pandemic coverage. I, I could argue that a lot of the problems that we face during the pandemic um, have come from a catastrophic lack of empathy for each other. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of see empathy as a, as a muscle. I think you can build it, I think you can flex it, and I think I, you know, I would hope that by encouraging people to um, extend the full force of their empathy to creatures that are incredibly different to them, um, that you know, there might be some lovely trickle-down benefits for uh, our ability to think of the lives of other people who are very different to us.
0: For sure. Well, yeah, sort of a. Uh ongoing uh, often low-key or even unexpressed uh, premise of of this show is that by talking about animals and all kinds of animals from week to week that i'm hoping at least that then in people that maybe don't have tremendous compassion necessarily inherently or maybe just they grew up in a in a family culture where that animals just weren't part of it or weren't encouraged or just thought of as uh, property that's you know, chained out outside if if it even exists and just that that over time hopefully does cultivate a a sense of compassion that, uh, you know, extends not only beyond how they feel about animals but to a broader, to a broader application and, um, and again, I think your, your book is doing that on on a, on a colossal level just because there's just so many animals and critters and senses that we're talking about and it's like, it's just fascinating to, to learn about these, but but if you just take a moment and, and sort of ponder and absorb, you know how that how that uh, mosquito is responding, or how that um, elephant is hearing or, or feeling something that we can't even be aware of by virtue of the vibration. I mean, it's it, it's got to be inspiring in some way, or hopefully inspire some some revisiting of some points of view.
2: I, I hope so, too. You know, the, the book is, I think, full of, like, exotic and, and uh, very cool creatures. You know, it's got naked mole rats and star-nosed moles and mantis shrimp and electric fish. It's also got a lot of charismatic creatures that I think a lot of people love, like sea turtles and elephants and dogs. But, you know, I think you, you could... You, it, it's it's easy to come away from it um, and uh, with a newfound appreciation for even... Um, ordinary and and perhaps boring animals. You know, um, when I walk my dog uh, every morning, we almost certainly pass by sparrows and starlings. Um, Each of those birds has wraparound vision. They can see um, in almost a full circle around their heads without needing to turn their heads so that as they're walking... uh, so For them, the visual world is not something they walk into, but something that they move through that surrounds them. Um, They can See this entire dimension of colors that we don't have access to so that their own plumage or the colors of the flowers around them will look very different to their eyes than to ours when they fly they'll feel air currents moving over their wings in ways that i struggle to imagine um you know in all of these ways these these species are magnificence, I think, through the simple acts of their existence. They don't need to be doing anything extraordinary to be extraordinary. And these are some of the most um common uh and you know and, and frequent animals that I encounter. Um I, I think I, I hope that by reading this book um you know we we don't own um it, it's it's not just that readers extend their empathy and curiosity to um, you know to the the most charismatic uh, animals around them but also to the ones that are in their backyard all the time or or perhaps the ones that they might uh ignore or or be repulsed by you know the the spiders or the um you know or the or the, the bugs that share their homes so i think each of those has its own sensory world each of those has its own little story to tell
0: and and even uh The way that that the reporting and some of the thoughts about different perceptions, uh, even if you've thought a lot about animals over a lot of years, which I I think certainly applies to me, for example, just like the way you're describing a bird flying in a certain way and the vision that that bird has to both keep flying to not obviously run into anything or or hit hit any kind of trouble, literally or figuratively, but also to look down below for a fish or something that it might swoop down on. I mean, it makes perfect sense, but I mean, I just don't think a lot of us have an opportunity to ponder exactly how those mechanics would work until they they read something that's describing this often very poetically in action. Yeah,
2: you know, I think that... um... It's, it's very natural to just assume that animals um, experience the world in the same thing, in the same way we do. And I think it's natural to do that because our experience of the world feels so complete. You know, I'm not sitting here um, feeling like there are holes in my perception, that there are things that I'm not getting. And yet, there absolutely are. And I think unless we think about that, we, we miss a lot of the magic that animals are capable of. So, you know, songbirds... Um, sing often these very complex songs and and um you know if you listen to to these um i'm certainly struck by this feeling that surely there must be something i'm missing here there's like there's there are like important features in the in the moments between the notes that i can't perceive and there absolutely are you know i think songbirds um have hearing that operates on a faster time scale. so they really are hearing stuff in their songs that we are missing. Um, you know, the, the colors that we see around us, a, a lot of the flowers that we think of as being monochrome have vivid ultraviolet markings on them that guide pollinating insects to um, to their um, the The air around us is full of sounds that we can't hear, either because they're infrasonic, they're too deep for us to hear, or ultrasonic, too high for us to hear. Even really familiar creatures like rats and mice, um, you know, have been trading ultrasonic messages for the entirety of their their existence um, that we can't hear. You know, um, rodents will sing ultrasonic serenades to each other when they're courting. Um, There's so much of the world that we're missing, and I think so much about animal behavior that we misinterpret um, because we're not thinking about their sensory world in their own right.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. You're, 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 you're giving us entree into, in some ways, like a secret society, like those those songs that those rodents are exchanging or whatever. I mean, why would why would you... Even if you think a lot about animals, once again, why would you imagine that's the case unless you're presented that information? And then you think, "Wow, that's that that gives me a whole different perspective on on that rat or that mouse."
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, you you I think you mentioned imagination, and I think that's crucial here. Um, you know, we we are limited by our own senses, and that affect how we perceive the natural world you know it wasn't until um the 1940s when um donald griffin and other scientists realized that bats have this incredible ability called echolocation um they produce high-pitched sounds um and they listen out for the echoes that rebound that that uh they, they listen out for the echoes as those sounds rebound off objects in the world around them um it's it's sort of a way of the silent world to reveal itself you know the, the bat says Marco and its surroundings can 't help but say polo <laughs> this, this ability is, is extraordinary I, I think um, but you know, for for the longest time um, no one know, knew that it happened like humans some blind people have been echolocating um, uh, throughout our history and, and it was never it was never regarded as, as being equivalent to what bats are doing. At the moment when we realize that bats are capable of this, scientists could then look to see if other animals do the same. And the answer is yes, they do. You know, the, the discovery of echolocation in bats made it possible to learn that and dolphins and other toothed whales are capable of echolocation too, um, and that other creatures can, can pull off this skill. Um, so it, I think by by. Think by unfettering our imagination, by, by allowing by allowing ourselves to think more about what animals are, do, are doing, we actually open the door to new discovery as well as more curiosity and empathy and all the rest.
0: For sure. Well, I want to let folks uh, know who you are who may have just tuned in a bit late, and then I want to come back to a sort of the flip side in some ways of the echolocation thing that you mentioned. But this is Talking Animals on WNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you did just tune in, my guest is science journalist Ed Young, staff writer at the Atlantic, winner of the Pulitzer Prize for explanatory reporting about COVID-19 and author of books, most recently, An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. If you'd like to ask Ed a question or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email DJ at WMNF.org, or text 813-433-0885. So your book is not only just replete with fascinating uh, information, reporting, research, etc., on the various Senses of of animals, but it does, as I noted a moment ago, uh, show how it is possible and not, I guess, all that uncommon in some senses, for humans to come back the other way and embrace an animal uh, perception. I'm speaking, of course, of of Daniel Kish and uh, his own, uh, you know, blindness uh, spurred. Basically, echolocation, like the bats were talking about, like the other animals. Can you talk a little bit about his story and some of the things we've learned from, from his embracing and, and mastering, really, of echolocation?
2: Yeah, um, Daniel uh, was blind from close to birth um, and uh, gets around um, by echolocating. Um, so he makes um, sharp, loud clicks with his tongue and he uses the returning echoes to perceive the world around him. You know, I've gone for walks with him where, yes, he's using a cane, but he's also um, uh, bolstering that with the information he gets through echoes. Um, you know, he can tell me when he's about to hit um, an, uh, a low-lying branch of a tree in our path. He can point out um, houses and um, parked cars and shrubbery um, that, that we walk past. Um, it's sort of an incredible skill, um, except, you know, he would point out that it's a skill that many people can develop. Um, uh, he was particularly encouraged to do so, or at least he wasn't told that he couldn't do that by his parents at a young age. Um, and, and he sort of developed this in, in, in um, this really incredible and fine tuned way of, of the deploy, point deploying echolocation. Um, I think it's really interesting talking to a human who can do this because obviously um, Daniel has language, right? We speak in the same language. Yeah. He can Tell me interesting things about, about echolocation. For example, you know, he, he talks about how, um, it's really hard to echolocate small objects on a large surface, like a table. Like that's something that he's bad at, but that's actually something that bats are bad at too. Like finding an insect sitting on a leaf is really hard for a bat because the big echoes from the leaf drown out the small echoes from the insect. Um, but there's also stuff that we, we still struggle to understand about each other's experiences even though we 're speaking the same language and have access to a shared vocabulary um, so because Daniel was um, blind since almost birth um, he uh, he can 't fully explain what it 's like to perceive the world through echoes like a lot of his language is is, um, is full of visual terms and visual metaphors, because he lives in a society dominated by that, but when he says things like, you know, he gets a bright image, is that the same as what I think of when I think of a bright image? It, it, it po- probably isn't. Um, so, one of the crucial things about the, the book and about this Unveil concept is that it's always going to be very hard, perhaps impossible to fully ex- think, um step into the sensory world of another creature. And, you know, in, in talking to Daniel, it became clear to me that this is even the case when you're talking to another person who has access to, this, um, to uh, the wonderful gift of language that, that we all share. Um, there's still going to be this, this subjective chasm between my sensory world uh, and his. Yeah. And that chasm can only be left um, with a feat of imagination, which you know, bring, brings us back to, to what you raised earlier. This is why imagination is so so crucial to this enterprise. You know, you're, and I'm never going to fully know what it's like to be Daniel or a bat or a mosquito or my dog. But I think the core argument of an immense world is that it's worth trying. Yeah. It's really worth
0: trying. Well, let's, uh, we have a caller. Let's see if we can get them involved in the conversation. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Ed Young. Go ahead, please. Oh, maybe we might have lost him. Okay. Well, call back if you... Uh, sorry, I know you are holding for a while there. I apologize. Um, yeah, so one of the things, the last thing you just said, Ed, uh reminded me that as I was reading An Immense World, mindful of how the animal senses you were exploring, these chapters had little or no overlap, um, other than sometimes symbiotic relationships, and... Um, or maybe this is our caller. We're going to try again. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Ed Young. Yeah, I think it's me. Get okay, scary? please, yeah, please go ahead with your question or comment for know, Ed. Right at this very moment,
2: I'm reading the book. I love the book, and especially the introduction, the beginning the book. How you imagine the animals in the gymnasium? Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that would that was Deborah, definitely <laughs> dragged me into the book. It was great. Thank you. And and you know what all the um all the preparation you had to do to make that book. You when you talk about all the animals. I'm thinking about look at all the
0: homework you did. And especially like um I never knew all that all the senses about elephants.
2: So um and uh sum it up, I think you did a great job, thank you.
0: Oh well, thank you for your call. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, yeah,
2: elephant fans will have a lot to to love about the book. They show up in, in multiple chapters. Um, you know, the, the caller talks about uh, uh, the the opening of the book, in which I ask people to in in, in uh, imagine a space, like maybe a school gym, in which there is an elephant and a rattlesnake and a bee and a songbird, a, a human. Um, it, it's an exercise that I think conveys the unbound concept well, because in that space, each creature is is sharing the same room, but has radically different experiences of it. Experiences of it. So, you know, uh, uh, the elephant may be hearing low frequencies that the bird can't hear. The bird moves sensing the magnetic field of the earth in the way in a way that the bee can't um, feel. Um, the bee is seeing ultraviolet colours that the human can't see. Um, you know, we we all, even if we're next. To each other have very very different experiences of the same space and I think that that you know that opening scene with with the gym and the animals does uh, prepare people for the imaginative work that is necessary for the rest of the book that we've already talked about
0: yeah well that's as I was starting to say before we invited the the caller to join us um, as I was reading the book I was mindful how the, those senses you were exploring didn't had much or any overlap in some cases, other than against some symbiotic relationships that you describe. So I started seeing the book as almost sort of a clearinghouse of, of, of sorts, where you know there's no reason that a particular animal or critter uh, talking, you know, about how they perceive color, let's say, or vibrations or whatever, would would care or could do anything about the information about some of the other senses. It's it's sort of ultimately just for us humans. But it's really for us humans, and so uh, again, it really should be embraced in a way that you can really not just expand your imagination but but really see the world in a broader sense and in all kinds of ways that that are animal related but 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 human related just as much yeah
2: um, you know in that in that. Um, in that- Uh, imaginary gymnasium full of animals, right? Is the elephant sitting there wondering what the bird sees? Is the bird thinking about what the bee feels when it lands on a flower? I I don't think so. You know, I I don't think so because even with, even when you think about humans, this act of understanding that other animals have other umbelts and trying to consider those sensory worlds, that doesn't come naturally. You know, that took like Um, Millennia, centuries of philosophical thought and scientific experiment to get to the place where I could write this book. So I I do think that this ability to step into and even contemplate the sensory world of other animals is probably uniquely human. Um, And if that's the case, I I see it as a gift, Um, you know, something that we, um, we should cherish and make full use of.
0: For sure. Well, this kind of reminds me uh, of a a question I also had along the way, Um, because in reading An Immense World, I I did get to thinking about one topic that surfaced periodically on this show over nearly 20 years that we've been doing this, Um, and that's anthropomorphism and how it's viewed by scientists and others has shifted, uh, at least in some circles. So I, I I couldn't help but wondering where you stood on anthropomorphism before you started working on the book, and in what ways, if any, did your perspective change by the time you had completed the book?
2: Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple of sides to it, right? Like, I I think that um, by thinking about animals through a human lens, uh, we often misinterpret um, their behavior. Um, But also, uh, it helps us draw um, parallels between what they're doing and ours. It points to... to, um, Sources of um, commonality, like our shared um, history, our shared evolutionary history. Um, I think, though, that the 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 argument I make in the book is that um, one very pernicious and subtle form of anthropomorphism that we don't often think about is in thinking that animals have the same sensory world as we do, and that can be detrimental. Right, like we um a lot of dog owners forget that dogs live in a world dominated by smell um and that you know for for a dog on a walk smelling is a really important part of its life of its of its mental life
0: of yeah.
2: its um exploration um you know if you yank a dog along on a walk without giving it a chance to sniff you're sort of depriving it of an important part of its doghood
0: yeah
2: and you know likewise the last chapter of the book is all about how um by flooding the darkness with light and the quiet with sound we are doing immense harm to a lot of creatures who don't have the same sensory experiences that, that we do. Um, you know, who who um, require often the absence of sound or the absence of light to go about their lives. That is a case of us enforcing our own health on the, of other creatures. And and this problem of sensory pollution, I think, is is both huge and a reflection of our um, th- this subtle form of anthropomorphism right? in thinking that animals could live happily in a world where we live happily. And that's just not the case. Um, And we need to be more savvy and mindful about that.
0: For sure. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Ed Young, a science writer on staff at The Atlantic, where he was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for explanatory reporting, also received the George Polk Award for science reporting, And he's also the author of books most recently, and the thing we're chiefly discussing uh, today, An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. We do invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So um, you didn't just report on the pandemic, for which you did, as we mentioned earlier, when, when your Pulitzer but did what also many people did. You got a dog, a corgi puppy named Typo you've alluded to once or twice. Um, now, you've been writing about animals and animal behavior for years, but without, as far as I know at least, having any animals directly in your life. So um, I'm super interested to know how adding Typo to your life maybe influenced your work generally and maybe, depending on where it fell in, your, in your, all your reporting and working and writing, how it maybe yeah. shaped your book.
2: Uh, absolutely. So um, you're, you're right. And this typo is my my first uh, pet, the first time I've had an animal in my home, uh, as well as in my head and, and my heart. Um, and uh, it's more that I think the book influenced him than, than vice versa. I was already mm. halfway through writing the book before we got him. Um, and, you know, I, the, the chapter on smell and specifically the section on dogs was actually the first part of the book that I, I wrote. So I talked a lot to Alexandra Horowitz, um, a dog mission researcher, who, by the way, has an amazing book called A Year of the Puppy coming out um, in uh, a month or so. Oh, great. Um, And uh, she talks a lot about the the smell world of dogs, how important smell is to dogs. Um, You know, I I went, I visited her in her lab in New York. I I, um, talked to her about the importance of smell. She introduced me to this concept of smell walks where she takes her dogs um, on on walks where the dog decides what to do and what it does is is to sniff um you know it, she she doesn't hurry it along she if it wants to sniff um she lets it sniff um yeah. and um that absolutely influenced um how uh my wife and i decided to raise typo you know from a young age we played sniffing games with him we'll hide bits of kibble around the house and get him to track them down um you know we uh when at least once a day when we go on a walk um he sets the pace you know if he wants to spend 15 minutes sniffing one patch of grass he gets to do that Um, and you know i i think that um everything that I learned from Alexandra um, tells me that, you know, when when dogs are allowed to do this, um, they're happier, they're they're less anxious, they are more optimistic. Um, You know, I think it's just allowing Typo to be a dog. Yeah. That was really important to us from from the very start. Um, And, you know, I I think and I hope that it's made his life better.
0: I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you know... When you when you're just doing sniff games with your humans, that's a pretty good day for a dog, I think. So
2: yeah, I mean, he really likes them, and uh, he it's it's amazing how quickly he took to them. You know, so we we put him in a corner, in a part of the house, we get him to sit and wait, um, walk somewhere else, hide kibble under like bits of furniture or around his toys, and you know, tell him to come find it, and. It took like almost no training to, to teach him like the rules of this game, and I think it speaks to just how intuitive it, it is for them. And uh, you know, I think he he really likes it. it. It it stimulates his brain and his senses
0: for sure. No, well, that's uh, that's his kind of game. I mean, what's not to like if you're typo? This is like, hey, I could play this all day long. I'm just sorry we have to quit after an hour or so.
2: Right, and it's it's fascinating for me too. You know, there, there are certain places in the house where um, he actually finds it quite hard. You know, I can I can put a piece of kibble underneath like the mat where he sleeps, and he will still find it. But I can put it next to like the feet of one particular chair, um, and he he often struggles. And so. So that makes me curious about this environment that I spend all my time in, right? Like, is, is there something about the airflow near that chair? Does the smell of the chair drown at the smell of the kibble? I, I think it it, it it cues me in to these hidden aspects of um, even the spaces that I move through in every single day that typos senses reveal and that my senses are oblivious to. And, and that really is the, the crux of the book that's why the subtitle of the book is you know how animal senses reveal the hidden realms around us.
0: and i think with what you're describing about typo i wonder if there's any truth to the rumor that the next book is sniff games with typo
2: <laughs> i think that's uh, that's not a, that's not a book i'm gonna write that is in fact just my life right now.
0: <laughs> okay fair enough so just quickly we're just in our last moment here ed but um all kidding aside in reporting on this book um you know, the, you obviously got to speak to so many great researchers and scientists and, and uh, have some great experiences with those animals, uh, depending on what, what the animal in question was. Um, so I think you obviously, you know, had uh, just a wealth of experiences. And, and we talked about the, many of those are in the book, many of those are in the footnotes. But did it spur um, something along the way where you thought, I've got maybe the seedling of the next book when I am ready to tackle the next book?
2: Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I don't have a very specific idea and I usually try to not talk about them until I'm well underway. But, okay. you know, I, I will say that um, my first book, I Contain Multitudes, was about the microbes that share our bodies and our lives and the profound influence they have on um, on all of us, uh, our humans and, and other animals. Um, this book is obviously about the sensory worlds that we're missing. There's sort of a thematic tissue, that, that, uh, a thematic river that flows through both of these works. It's about um, how biology, how the living world is so much richer and deeper than, than we can perceive, um, and that um, there, are, there are all of these hidden aspects to life around us that we are missing. Arguably, that, that river runs flows through my pandemic work too, which argued that a lot of the flaws in um, our handling of the pandemic come through these hidden systemic failures in our society that have been amassing for for many decades. So that's a topic that I am continually interested in and that I think will probably form the foundation of whatever comes next.
0: Okay. Well, we'll sit tight. I may have to put the squeeze on typo for the get, get a little bit of a sneak <laughs> preview. But uh, th- this has been uh, great. I've been speaking with Ed Young Again, his new book is An Immense World, How Animal Senses Reveal the Hidden Realms Around Us. And of course, you can read his work on an ongoing basis in the Atlantic. Ed, thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. In a moment, I'll speak with Christina Holtz, who owns Bay Paws Pet Resort. They have two locations, and the Ybor City location is the site of a Clear the Shelters adoption event slated for this Saturday, August 27th, featuring a number of local rescues and vendors. We'll hear more about that from Christina in just a moment. Right now, though, we're going to step into the Comedy Corner. This is Sean Patton with a piece called Emotional Peacock in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I don't know if you remember this side
3: note. Like two years ago, a woman tried to register a peacock as an emotional support animal. A peacock, like, first of all, that's a cry for help we all missed. Like, what kind of emotional turmoil are you in where you need support from a peacock? A peacock, have you ever seen a peacock? Peacock? It's not, it's not the NBC? It's not that at all. It's a more of a the, the head gets crazy. It makes that exact sound. Like a, like a demonic turkey, man. And the feathers jut like out and at you. Because in nature, when a peacock unfolds, it is a, a mating call or a defense mechanism. the only reason it does either it 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 means let's or let's fight it certainly does not mean calm down it's only turbulence (laughs) these planes are built to handle 100 times worse than this (laughs) a peacock like what the poor woman must have been in such a dark place like this life is meaningless it's like a cloud over my head and i'm never gonna snap out of it and i just don't Thanks, Felipe. <laughs> You're right. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna push on. What are you doing this weekend? There's 59.99 round trip flights to Phoenix on Spirit Airlines, you wanna go? I mean, she tried to take a flightless bird on a flight. <laughs>
0: That was Sean Patton in today's Comedy Corner with a piece called "Emotional Peacock," taken from an appearance on This Week at the Comedy Center. Now it's time to speak with Christina Holtz, owner of Bay Paws Pet Resort, where in their Ybor City location they're presenting "Clear the Shelters" an adoption event this Saturday, August twenty seventh. This is Christina Holtz on Talking Animals on WF. Good morning, Christina. Good morning, Duncan. Thanks so much for having me on today. Oh, thanks for joining us on Talking Animals. So let's start, I guess, with maybe just a brief uh, description of Bay Paws Pet Resort to begin with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Bay Paws Pet Resort is a local luxury pet resort company. We have two locations, one over by the St. Pete Clearwater Airport and then one over in Ybor City where we're hosting the adoption event. So at both locations, we offer dog and cat boarding, Doggy daycare, and then full grooming and bathing services as well.
0: So given that those are the kind of services that you provide, which, which are obviously good and important, but wouldn't necessarily uh, automatically be a place that would hold a Clear the Shelters uh, event, tell me sort of what, what, what prompted you to, to go ahead and set one up and host one for the Saturday.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we've always been a big proponent of you know working with our local rescues and tech community in order to get... Um, Pets that need homes into fosters and homes. So at both of our locations, for example, um, you know, we do discounted boarding for uh, different rescue organizations if they're in between fosters or they need a temporary place to board um, some of their dogs while they're uh, shuffling them around. So we've been working closely with them and with the Big Clear the Shelters uh, annual event, we wanted to help participate. Uh, we just uh, acquired our Ebor City location last November and had done an extensive renovation of that facility. And so it's also just a good way to let the community know that we now have a location there, um, you know, and get the, the local community of tours and a way to connect and provide the space for rescues to be able to meet. The public as well um so we connected with a lot of the rescues that that we work with in the past and um are just simply providing the space and organizing the events in order to try to get these dogs adopted
0: well that sounds great and makes a uh, perfect sense of course as well so maybe you could tell me uh, some of the rescues that will be participating this saturday
1: yeah of course so we have some great uh local rescues that are participating um there's skyway dachshund rescue and lowrider and rescue so those are two um dachshund specific rescues i'm a mom of dachshunds myself so i'm always a little partial to them there you go um but we also have a heidi's legacy which is also a very well-known local um, organization as well as florida giant dog rescue so they focus on uh great danes mastiffs other giant breeds and mercy full project um so those are the rescues that are participating and they're going to bring about around 40 dogs wow um, great so have lots of dogs there for people to meet and they will kind of Um, We have a lot of puppies coming as well. Um, One of the organizations just um, uh, rescued a group, a litter of puppies. So we're going to have some puppies to, um, you know, all the way up to adults and senior dogs, um, as well as a lot of local vendors like dog trainers, um, a dog uh, charity foundation that works to help, uh, you know, promote and sponsor and get financing for some of the rescues and uh, some other local uh, dog craft companies as well.
0: Well, it sounds like it's going to be quite an event. I'm going to come back and ask you a question about adopting those animals, but let's make sure before we uh, possibly run out of time that we hit all the key details. So, again, it's this Saturday, August 27th. If I'm not mistaken, the time for the event is between 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. Is that is that right? That's correct, yes. Okay. And it's a, as we discussed, Bay Paws Pet Resort, this is the Ebor location. So I think that is that 1212 North 34th Street? Yes. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, it's right off of
1: Adamo and 34th.
0: Perfect. So now back to the event itself, and it sounds like 40 some odd dogs, including puppies and uh, two different uh, d- dogs and rescues, among other things. That's great. So how will that actually work? Sometimes these events, uh, you know, you can take a dog, if you find one that you really like, you think is a good fit, you can take one home that, that day. Sometimes there's still paperwork or an application or even a home visit to, to complete. So how, how will it work in this case?
1: Mm-hmm, correct. So each rescue that's participating has um, different rules, but the vast majority of them uh, will require you know if you if you go to the event and you meet a pet that you like, uh, then you will need to fill out an application with the rescue um, in order to actually adopt the pet. So you wouldn't be able to actually go home with the pet that day. They, they would still need to approve you.
0: Okay. Well, that that's good because I mean I, I think. Uh you know, people get super excited, and uh, but we we don't want something that's just like a kind of an impulse buy without checking out everything and making sure it's going to be a good fit and that it's going to stick on on both okay. sides. So that's that that seems really reasonable. Okay, so my last question at the moment, Christina, is um, is there a website and or social media pages you could tell folks about where they could find out more or follow up if they're interested?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to our website, which is www.baypaws.com, so it's B and boy, A-Y, paws.com, we have the Eventbrite link listing right there on our homepage where you can go to the Eventbrite link, register, get all the details and information. And then you can also follow Bay Paws City on Facebook and Instagram. Um, to get some more information about the
0: event as well. Sounds great. Well, that's uh, all again happening this Saturday, August twenty seventh. Thank you so much, Christine. I hope that all kinds of animals get adopted that afternoon or or subsequently get set up. But uh, but hopefully people find their their matches uh, that afternoon between eleven and two. So thank you so much for joining us and yes. talking animals. Appreciate it. Of course.
1: Thanks for having me. You bet. Bye. <laughs>
0: coming up on WMNF the music kicks back in Jim Bannon is in for Scott Elliott today and uh he'll be holding forth from noon to 3pm It looks like he's all set up getting organized so that's going to be a great show as always followed by Robin Hooper with yet another three hours of music after that and we just keep the music coming as we roll into our block of Latin programming and beyond so uh We've just about reached the end of today's edition of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Next Wednesday, I will turn with uh, Katrina Shaddix, Executive Director of Bear Warriors United, whose mission is to preserve and protect bears and all of Florida's natural resources and wildlife. So all about Florida bears and different incidents that have happened lately and what we should know and do to to protect and help our bear friends, etc. That's all next Wednesday on Talking Animals so I invite you to join us then also invite you to visit TalkingAnimals.net for audio archives of every show we've ever broadcast Apple podcast available too, too as well as other podcast platforms also links to our social media pages are there it's all at TalkingAnimals.net I'm Duncan Strauss thanks very much for listening have a good week be kind to animals be kind to others be kind to yourself this is Talking Animals on WNF Tampa Brandon Clearwater Largo Weeki Wachee and beyond my thanks again to ed Yong and christina holtz our guests today on talking animals and we're going up to get five minutes of npr news headlines and then jim bannon in for scott Eliot stay tuned we'll see you next wednesday on talking animals thanks